program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. I'm not sure what it is lately. Maybe there's something in the air. Maybe it's because it's summer. Or maybe it's because my kids are all so close in age. But they will not stop fighting. It's near constant. He's looking at me. He won't stop when I tell him to. He didn't ask to play with my toy. All day long. By the end of the day, when my husband gets home, after I've been refereeing all day, the poor man gets the brunt of whatever I have left over. And lately, it hasn't been good. That's not fair to him or to my boys. After telling my kids all day to say sorry and just work it out, I realized that sometimes sorry isn't enough. It certainly wasn't the other night when I tried to apologize to my husband for my behavior. What I really needed, and what I really need to teach my kids, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most essential elements of our faith. Jesus suffered and died so that we would be forgiven. And here I was, struggling to choke out the words, I'm sorry. Why is it sometimes so hard to ask for or to extend forgiveness when Jesus literally gave his life? To explore this, I'm chatting with Deacon Gregory Amarante and his wife Ellen via Zoom about how we can make the art of forgiveness an everyday practice in our lives. Deacon Gregory and Ellen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm I'm really excited to have you on the program to be talking about this. Would you mind telling me a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Uh, well, uh, I'll start if that's okay with you, Ellen. Sounds good. All right. Uh, well, we're high school sweethearts. We've been married 28 years. We have two children, five grandchildren. Ellen is an educator and a counselor. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. You're an educator and you've just started uh, pursuing counseling. Uh, how do you want to put it, Elle? <laughs> yes, I think I'm an educator now shifting gears to study counseling. And I've uh, we just talked uh, briefly. I, I've been in the Air Force. I've uh, been an IT and database director for many years. After 27 years, um, in that area, I've taken on a job here at the diocese as the Secretary of Catholic Life and Evangelization. And amid all those years, for t- the past 12 years, I've been a deacon uh, for the diocese. And I will just add to that that um, I've enjoyed my education experience in K-12 education as well as higher ed. And my new desire is to um, seek a degree in counseling, and I'm excited to be attending Divine Mercy University and getting a very solid Catholic understanding of how psychology and 
our faith meet. So it's an exciting time for us. That sounds very exciting indeed. You guys have been, you have quite the life experience, you know, kind of coming from all facets. I love that. So today we're talking about forgiveness. And I was hoping you guys could help me expand on what forgiveness actually means. So we talked about this uh, in preparation, and I wanted to kind of come at it from a, what's the first thing that comes to my mind, right? Because we use the word forgiveness uh, or the word pardon, right? That came up, and we still think that those don't always convey an actual definition to us. And uh, I think release is is the best word for that, or a letting go of something, uh, letting go of an offense. And so, of course, if you if you pursue that scripturally, and you want to look into the Greek and the and the Hebrew, there are words that mean to take away guilt, right? To take away something. And the word away also appears in the New Testament in uh, in multiple forms of the word, uh, which is to either just to kind of send away, like separate yourself from the offense or the bond or to to break or release somebody from a bond. So I think it's very interesting that that sense of a way that we are separating ourselves from an offense, from a debt that somebody owes us and liberating both them and ourselves from from whatever that obligation was. So that's where I that's where I landed. Uh, and I think it's really important that you just said, honey, that it's a release for both parties. You know, and I love that idea of release because when we harbor a grudge or we we harbor unforgiveness, it's it is a clutching, a holding on. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm here clenching my fists. It's just like a, it's a physical example of how tightly we hold on to something. And when we release it, it relaxes that for ourselves as well as for the person that has offended us. Um, in this case, or you know, we'll talk maybe later about when we're the offender seeking forgiveness, but. I think that that idea of release is, is wonderful from a theological as well as a tangible standpoint. Isn't it interesting how you, know, you say, you know, clenching fists, don't we actually do that? Don't we physically do that when we think yeah. of people who have angered us or, or people who have hurt us and that memory brings our hands in, you know, we, we, we bring those fists in. So I think there's something physical there that that it's not just imagery it actually have to do that both physically and spiritually or psychologically i, I should say to release um someone or or ourselves absolutely that's very true and i love that imagery of of having to physically release like an unclenched fist forgiveness is one of the most essential parts of our faith why is it so essential and also so very difficult for us to do in our faith I was reflecting on this last night and when we were talking about it a little bit together, you know, and, and maybe this is just what I'm, where I'm coming from with my study of counseling right now, but it just made me think about how much all of these things, including forgiveness in our response to someone who has offended us, it really goes into our understanding of the human person. It goes into the understanding of our own identity and who we are as humans created in the image and likeness of Christ with our purpose to be conformed to the likeness of Christ and how, you know, I'm thinking of the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5, 
you know, the last thing that Christ says at, at, when he's talking about love your enemies, he says, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. And when we look at the meaning of that word perfect, it's whole, complete. Mm-hmm. You can go on to like healed, you know, perfected person, the, the human person as God intended us to be. And that is so tied to this idea, right? For us to be complete, for us to be healed, we need to be willing to forgive as Christ forgave. And how did he forgive? He suffered, he died. And that's what it requires of us in order to have that same self-sacrifice of forgiveness. We have to do something that is painful, that may cause some sort of a death within us, a death of our desires, a death of our expectations, a death of our emotions sometime that we that we're holding on to as we just were talking about. But that's what it requires to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why it's so hard, but it's also why it's so important. And I would just add to that, you know, you mentioned the human condition. It is an acknowledgement like to, to, to recognize that we need forgiveness from God uh, or even from one another is an acknowledgement that sin exists, that this is a real experience in our world. And so we acknowledge the existence of that and our human condition, uh, that it is a fallen state. And that perfection that Ellen was talking about, you know, leads us to, to say, how do we, how do we respond to this? But also uh, God has a response to it. And forgiveness is so essential to our faith because God wants that relationship with us. If sin is a rupture in a relationship, right? Just think about, you know, the typical, you know, Ellen and I being husband and wife, uh, having an argument or a disagreement uh, over an action, perhaps, that caused a rift in the relationship. It causes a separation. And in order to bring that back together, things have to happen in order for us to restore the family, right? So God wants that relationship with us. He, he is the one. He is the act, the primary agent and mover in restoring that relationship. And God wants us to be in a relationship with one another also. So forgiveness is essential because otherwise we won't be the family or the people, as as Ellen was saying, that God imagines us or intends us to be. That's really insightful. I hadn't I hadn't really thought of it that way, of bringing us back to God in a sense of of admiring the other human person for them being in the image and likeness of God as well. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. One of the famous sayings is to forgive and forget. Is that possible? And if so, then why do we need to sometimes continually forgive people for causing the same hurt over and over again? You know, some people just never seem to learn or acknowledge what this might be costing mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a little more technical on this one. So I want to go with Ellen's probably less um, less technical answer first. I don't know. Maybe you're technical too, <laughs> We might have the same answer. We we might. We might. (laughs) Well, I've got like scripture verses and right. Well, sure, because my my first thought is all things are possible, right? Through Christ, all things are possible. Sure, it's possible to forgive and forget, but is it necessary? No, and may not be prudent at times. May not be necessary at times. So. Yes, we we are we're asked to forgive. In fact, I I saw in the catechism, I think it's a good time to bring this in. And 
uh, paragraph 2840, it says, now this is daunting. I love that. Now this is daunting. This outpouring of mercy cannot penetrate our hearts as long as we have not forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Love like the body of Christ is indivisible. We cannot love the God we cannot see if we do not love the brother or sister we do see. In refusing to forgive our brothers and sisters, our hearts are closed and their hardness makes them impervious to the Father's merciful love. But in confessing our sins, our hearts are opened to his grace. So the command there, you know, what we're instructed to do is forgive. It doesn't necessarily get into the forgetting part. We are required to forgive the offense, but there are times that forgetting it could be detrimental to our human person too. You know, we we are entitled to protect our own mm-hmm. dignity as human persons. And if someone is repeatedly doing something that infringes upon that dignity, it's okay for us to set up barriers and it's okay to remember that um, danger to ourselves. So there are times I think that we can forgive without forgetting. If we're talking about an intimate relationship with family, it may also be very difficult to forget and we may try to continue to, to work toward forgetting, but that is also a, an act of grace. <laughs> we, need, we need God's grace to help us with that healing of our memory as well. I, w- I would agree that forgetting is not necessary, right? And I didn't, I didn't think of it as something detrimental. So that was enlightening to me to hear you say that. However, it could also be detrimental not to get to a point, right, to to where mm-hmm. we've, I don't want to say forgotten, but it's not as prominent in our minds. Uh, it's interesting that in Scripture, God uses the term of forgetting or not remembering our sin anymore. Mm-hmm. In Isaiah chapter 43, in Jeremiah chapter 31, or even Psalm 103, we have words like, I will not remember your sins. I will remember their sin no more, or I have removed your sin, right? As far as the East is from the West, like it's so far away from me, you know, uh, that, uh, and he does that, right? He does that. Why? Because he pities his children. It says the Lord, the Lord, again, uses the term of family for the sake of reconciliation, um, reconciliation being a calling together, conciliate to call together, and, and the re part of that, reconciliate, to call together anew. God, and maybe desperate's the wrong word, but that's his love. His love is so, he can't deny himself. He can't deny that impetus to call us back into the family. And so he's willing, he's willing to say, I don't remember your sins when we turn to him and, and ask him for that. And then that challenge uh, is put to us both from that catechism uh, verse and the verse in Matthew 18, 21, when Peter's asking, how many times do I forgive my brother? And Jesus basically says, when he says 70 times seven or 77, depending on the translation, right? He's saying, you forgive, you have to forgive your brother perfectly. So if I'm not forgetting that sin that somebody has committed against me, even if they've asked me to forgive them, okay, I forgive them. But I remember it tomorrow, if I remember it a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, or every year on the anniversary of the event, I am forgiving again. 
It doesn't. And that's a beautiful example of our humility, right? We are constantly needing to remind ourselves that this is not something that's in our own power. It's not of our own strength. It's, it's grace. It's the power of God that allows us to forgive and hopefully to even forget. And again, I'm going back to the catechism here in 2843. It clearly says here, it is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense, but the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory in transforming the hurt into intercession. Mm-hmm. That is beautiful. That's that's so. Uh, what a perfect ending to that, right? T- to turn it into intercession, turn it into a prayer, right? That's that powerful. Very powerful. So you touched on this a little bit, but is forgiveness the same as reconciliation? The way I interpret it is, is one is I release you from your debt, and the other is learning to trust someone again. Is is there a difference? And if so, what is it? So no, I I say they're not the same thing. Uh, forgiveness is is the releasing of somebody, right? The releasing of that that bond, that obli- that that debt, um, that sin, and the reconciliation part can only come after that. You may forgive somebody without actually getting to the point of reconciliation if they don't receive it, and you have no control over that. That's part of the dialogue that happens. If I offend Ellen and I want to reconcile, there are things that come with that after the forgiveness. Uh, You know, we do this in confession when we make a firm purpose of amendment. She needs to know that I'm committed to restoring the trust that I I lost as a, a result of my action. Sometimes we do this with different expressions, not just our words, Uh, you know, the typical flowers coming into the home after the offense is like the reparation that you'll see in the Old Testament when you stole your neighbor's cow, you know, you give him his cow back and you give him another cow in reparation. It's, it's, uh, it's not just the, it's not just the words or the, the um, restoring of something. It's the gift of going above and beyond to say, I'm committed to this relationship being restored. So, um, so it reconciliation takes probably just as much work, but comes after the maybe hard work of even asking for, or, or giving someone forgiveness. But in, in that great mercy and compassion of God, even though human reconciliation isn't possible, reconciliation with God is, so, you know, when Gregory was speaking about that rift that occurs um, when we when we sin or when we harbor unforgiveness in our heart, when whenever there's a, that separation from God and others, we know that we can heal the separation that we have with God through the sacrament of reconciliation. So that that's a beautiful piece and hope for us that we know there may not be a resolution that we want with someone else, but we can be made correct and whole and pure again before God. Absolutely. One of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. And in it, it makes mention of love keeps no wrong, no record of wrongs. For some relationships, like marriage, how can we continue to choose forgiveness and rebuild trust within the relationship? 
in order to keep a record, you know, you have to you have to be logging that in the brain somewhere. You have to be making notes and documenting, right? Whether um, just in, in that mental logbook or maybe even a physical one, who knows, in your journal or whatever. But so, you know, to keep no record, again, that that might not mean that we don't bring it up. It's recalled from time to time or yeah, that we remember, but keeping a record is a little bit more serious, right? Like, oh, there's another check in that box. He did it again. Hmm. You know, it, it's it's about the the grace of of overlooking, you know, of making excuses for the other that we love. Well, you know, I, I know it happened, but we're 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 just gonna we're gonna see what we can do to restore that without focusing on it. So I think it's really about how much we're going to spend time thinking and documenting and recording. You know, that's the, that's the part that I think is is important. That's the choice that we can make. I think it, I think there has to be some balance to that, right? Because you did talk about that sense of preservation, you know, and protecting mm-hmm. ourselves, right? If we're if we're talking about some serious injuries, uh, right. some type of abuse, you know, before we can reconcile, we need maybe need some distance here. But it doesn't mean we're make you know there may be some excuses there, but it's more of a uh, wondering if there's a certain amount of compassion or a mental health problem that needs to be addressed. Uh, so when you bring these things up, if they're up in your heart, uh, being remembered, uh, and you want to come to the point where it's a part of the conversation that is constructive. I need to talk to you about this. We've uh, benefited in our own family from some of the typical words you might hear from um, from psychologists or counselors um, where they say, um, what what is it? I feel. I statements. I statements. So I feel. I feel when you because. Okay. Yeah. I feel when you. Thank you, Em. I feel <laughs> when you because. Right. Uh, so you fill in those blanks and that has to be constructive. So you you remember but if you're remembering because you want to get beyond it and you need the help of the other person in this reconciliation pro- pro- process, uh, hopefully they will engage with you in that. Um, I mean, even, I mean, Ellen and I have been married 28 years, I said, and uh, I, I'm sorry to keep bringing this up, Em, uh, but it was a good example because we went through it again after 28 years and uh, we've used the reconciliation model and i share this with lots and lots of couples so if some people hear this and they're a couple that we've been in through marriage preparation with you you're going to recognize this right you have to ask for the forgiveness right you have to use the words and you so i had to go through that i had to approach ellen and say will you forgive me for this and her response to me is that's not even the thing that offended me. So that was such an enlightening moment for me just a couple months ago when I had offended my wife and I've used the language, uh, the liturgy that we call it in our home, which kind of mimics the liturgy of the sacrament of reconciliation. And that opens a dialogue and I, that now I've put it in her hands. I have to wait for that response. If I just go up and say, I'm sorry, sorry is a, a feeling of regret. That's a very 
egocentric approach to the problem. But when I say, will you forgive me for, and I actually name the thing, that gives her a chance to respond. And that is, in my opinion, the most healthy way to approach the, an answer to this, to this keeping no record of wrongs. If you're going to bring it up, it's not because you're keeping a record, but it's because you're going to use it constructively. That's a very effective way to think about it. And dialogue even means, you know, it's a conversation between two people. It's a two-way street. So if you're only going one way, you know, forgiveness is not just expressing regret. It's also being willing to constructively put it back together. I love that. Sometimes we need to forgive, but sometimes we need to be forgiven. And it's important to know how to do that on both sides. And Gregory just laid out that, that we have to name our offense to the other whenever possible. And if we can't do it to the person, then we need to, to go to the sacrament of reconciliation and, and, and name it before God, uh, before the priest. So, you know, I, I think that that's really key too, that it's how do we model this as one who offends so that then when we need to forgive an offense done to us, we might actually empathize a little bit because we remember being in that place of needing forgiveness ourselves. And we all do that. Like we all, what does is, what is the Lord's Prayer say? You know, forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And it's that, that dual aspect of knowing that we are both the offender, offender and the offendee at times. And I want to go back to what you said very early on um, in, the, in the suffering or the dying, mm. right? The crucifix is one of the most important symbols in, in, in the marriage. Yes, I believe in the resurrection. Absolutely. It's so important to the faith to have that mentality of knowing the hope that is in store for us and that has been won for us. But it was won for us through that crucifixion. And when, when you get to these points, of, I mean, it takes a lot of courage sometimes to just ask for forgiveness, to be the first one to speak. And Jesus even tells us this, when you go to the altar and you bring your gift and you know that your brother has something against you, leave that gift at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. He doesn't say who the offender or was, at least I don't think it's clear in that passage. And I, I've got to give attribution to Dr. David Jeremiah, a uh, Protestant uh, pastor, radio personality that I heard years ago. That teaching has stuck with me so long that it's always your turn to speak first, to engage in the process of reconciliation. So maybe you're the one who has to say, I feel when you, because, or maybe you're the person who needs to say, will you forgive me for, and this is what I'm going to do to change. Uh, that crucifix gives me the courage. It reminds me of where my place is in how much I, how much love has to be brought into this in order for us to move forward. When you experience that in a relationship, you know, when you have that, that spouse or that, that child or, you know, someone close to you in your family coming to you with that kind of humility, it, it you can't help but start to restore trust then. You know, because the, the vulnerability that is required for trust to, to grow and develop is there. So, you know, we're, we're talking, I think, a little bit ideally here about the way things should be addressed. And, and I know it's it's probably true that some listeners are saying that's 
you know, my spouse would never, never even consider that. Or, you know, this relationship with my parents is never going to be restored this way. And I understand, I, there are relationships that I've experienced like that. And I understand how difficult it is to have that hope. And so we have to be realistic about what potential is right now. But I encourage everyone to hold out hope that God is a God of healing, that healing isn't just for heaven, even though we will be restored fully and, and healed completely there, that his, his healing, he did it all through his ministry. Jesus wants healing for us now. So I don't want that hope of healed relationships and, and forgiven offenses to be taken away from those who it might not look possible right now. There's so much we can say. I'm, I'm going to keep on going here, Go and <laughs> you, you can you can edit as you see fit. But it's also part of looking back and and seeing where you've come from. I I'm just so blessed to see that you know I'm not where I was with within my relationship in marriage or with my relationship with my children 20 years ago. It, it's so different because of these things. It's better because of, it's like the, oh, happy fault. Where would the growth be? So sometimes the remembering of those things is a way of looking and saying, look at how far I've come. Look at how far we've come as a result of having gone through this in such a courageous and grace-filled way. So. I can't, you know, my the word of the, of the year for me is remember. And so I have to say something because the word remember keeps coming up. And the reason why I chose it was because of kind of reconstructing or rethinking about the word remember. And this was also a, a book that I read by um, Anne Voskamp. She, is, she wrote a book for Advent. She's a, a Protestant writer as well, but had a beautiful reflection on Advent. And in it, she talks about being remembered as in, God takes our broken pieces and puts them back together. He remembers us. And I think that that's applicable here, that when we are struggling to forgive and forget, and the forgetting is important, you know, we can ask for that, Lord, as I remember these offenses, please remember me put them back together in a healed and restored way, like Gregory just talked about, that it's a sign of your grace. It's a sign of your forgiveness in my life. It's a sign of growth. And through that, the, the memory can be healed. And I, I think that that's a, a wonderful word of hope as well. That's another very powerful sentiment. And I've talked about this tradition before um, on other episodes with Sister Geraldine, where we talked about the Japanese tea ceremony and how very important it is. And it's so important that even when their cups break, they don't throw them away. They fix them and they're fixed with gold. And we likened the gold to God's grace. And uh, we're being made even more valuable through his working within us. So I love that. What should we do if we're struggling to forgive ourselves? Yeah, I, I, when we were looking over the questions, I said, oh, boy, Gregory, I can take that one. <laughs> I, I think that this is, again, it goes right back to our identity, right? And if we fail to remember at some point that we are made in the image and likeness of Christ, we see ourselves as unlovable. We see ourselves as unworthy. 
we see ourselves as just despicable beings because we see, we, we know our hearts, we know our minds, we know the things that, that we ponder or hold. And it's so easy to get caught in that, to get caught in that I, I am just ugly and I am just unworthy. But it is not, that is not the stance that we are to have. We are to always remember that we are beloved. We are made in love and for love in the image and likeness of Christ. That is our identity. That is our hope. And, you know, what is what does John Paul II say? We are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us and our real capacity to be made into the image of his son. That is our identity. So when we struggle to forgive, and that's just a, that's just a human thing too. Like we have to be okay with our emotions. You know, our emotions are indicators. They're like little temperature levers. They're not to be completely mm-hmm. ignored. They're not to control us either. You know, it's a both and there. And we can take those emotions and we can sanctify them. We can think about them. We can think, what, what lie is it that I'm believing that's causing me to feel this way about myself and to see myself as unlovable, as unforgivable? That's not what God says. And am I greater than God? You know, is, is my belief about myself greater than the truth that God speaks into my heart? So, you know, those, I, I would just probably encourage someone, all of us, right? We all struggle with this at some, in some level to just every time we start to feel that weight to go back to the memory of the fact we are beloved of God. We were created in love for love. We are made in the image and likeness of Christ and just have those things wash over us over and over again. Um, that's that's the best hope we have. So St. Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh and it could very well have been a sin that he committed that he couldn't forgive himself of. I really, nobody really knows there's a certain mystery to that, uh, to that statement. And he begs God over and over to to take it from him. And God's response is, uh, as Paul records it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my grace is sufficient for you. And we have to realize that God's will for us is both active and passive. And we don't think a whole lot about God's passive will, except when we're complaining that he lets things happen. (laughs) And I've said it, like, why did you let me do that? Like, why didn't you stop me? God could have stopped me from doing that. And I wouldn't have to sit here and suffer the thought of having done that. Yet uh, we know that in his passive will, he allows us to be true secondary causes, true free agents in this world and the choice was ours whether it was the culpability of that is higher or lower depending on our our state at the time it's ours and he's permitted it he permitted it to happen and it has to become for us um, the grace a moment of grace allowing god's grace to be sufficient to say okay that's in the past i'm not this the same as i was when i did that and when we allow that grace into those those i'd say wounds like we we they're self-inflicted in a way the wounds that are full of the grace of god i take hope from from christ's own wounds in heaven still being visible that mm. those are still there we carry those things into eternity with us as those milestones of god's grace maybe 
we don't know perfectly now, we will know more perfectly then. And to think that some of the wounds that I let God, let God permitted me to suffer, self-inflicted or otherwise, when abandoned to him and handed over to him, if they are visible in heaven, they are simply reminders of, of that amazing uh, love and power that, that he has, has bestowed upon us in this life. I hadn't really thought about it that when Jesus came down, he still had the wounds from the crucifix. And when you put it that way, it, it just kind of clicks, it makes a whole lot more sense. We talked about this a little bit, but what are some practical tips we can use in our relationship with our spouse or with our children or extended relationships to practice forgiveness? So I think the, the first thing Gregory already did mention that, you know, when, when we were raising our kids when they were young and they would, they would hurt one another in some way or hurt us in some way, you know, that the common, the common phrase is, I'm sorry, you know, and you, oh, sorry, sorry. And we wanted them very early on to understand that that's a perfectly fine thing to say if it's an accident. Mm -hmm. If you accidentally bump into someone, if you accidentally spill something, if you accidentally do whatever, it's perfectly acceptable to say, I'm sorry. That was my, my bad. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but it is so different to go to someone and say, I am asking you to forgive me. It's, it's vulnerable. It's, it's humbling. And just as Gregory says, it puts that power into the hands of the person who has been offended. And so they have the ability to answer in a few different ways. Yes, I forgive you. And yes, I, that you, you know it. That is exactly what happened. And that's exactly what offended me. And I forgive you. It, they can say, yes, that's why I'm unhappy. And that's why it, um, I'm offended. But I can't deal with this right now. I'm not ready yet. And that's an okay response. And then to say, let's check back in a little bit. And as, as maturity allows to say, let's talk about this later today, or let's talk about this tomorrow, we will return to it, but I need some time. And that's an okay response as well that we try to, to inculcate in our children. Mm -hmm. And it's also possible as Gregory's example to say, oh, yes, I'm offended, but I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand what actually offended me. And then that's an opportunity for that dialogue as we discussed and for a deepening of understanding of the, of the person, you know, so Gregory gets to understand me and my heart a little bit more. And I also get to understand a little bit about him. Like, Oh, that's how he saw that situation. That's interesting. So we both learn about each other in that instance. And it hopefully is an opportunity, not just to reconcile, but also to deepen that trust, to deepen that relationship, to deepen the intimacy and that can be within a marriage relationship. It can be with children in a sibling relationship. It can be between, you know, mother and father. It can be, you know, in so many different aspects of our family life. So that that difference between I'm sorry and will you forgive me, I think is probably the largest um, tip, the biggest tip, the, the most practical tip that we could supply. But I think that there are probably others too. Gregory, do you want to add a couple? Uh, that... I, it's hard because that is so uh, essential to to our experience. It's so prominent, and um, I think you'd you'd have to develop some 
ability to anticipate where you are um, when reading, you got to read some cues sometimes. You got to know that, you know, what is your attitude that day? And what, what position does that put you in before the people who are in your life that day? How are you going to respond? Because you can head some of these things off if you know yourself better. Um, so you're talking about self-awareness there. And I think, and even some self-regulation, and that's another area that we can really help our children. Uh, even when they're very young, we can help them to identify their emotions mm-hmm, and process yeah. their emotions in healthy ways and to build tools to um, to be able to do that eventually on their own. You know, in the beginning, we're kind of co-regulators with our children and we we sit there and we help them um, to process what they're feeling and, and why they're feeling it and what they might be able to do with those feelings um, in order to teach them the skills to eventually do it on their own. And I think the same thing is true with forgiveness. We're, we're walking with them. Okay, what what are you feeling? What do you think your sister is feeling? Because this is the conversation that we had often. What do you think your brother is feeling? Um, and then also we can we can help we can step in and be co-regulators in a situation where our spouse has been offended by a child. So, you know, if if my daughter or my son said something to Gregory that was offensive, I can go over to them and say, okay, here's what you said to daddy. You know, how do you think daddy feels about that? Do you think that that was a, a, a right decision or a wrong decision? Did that put a rift in your relationship together? How do, how do you think that we can restore that? How can we fix it? So using that language of separation and reconciliation, it prepares them for their relationship with God, as well as prepares for healthy relationships with other human beings. And, you know, I think even prepares them in a, at a young age for the sacrament of reconciliation, when they're, when they're ready for that as well. You know, the scripture does advise uh, fathers in Ephesians 6 not to exasperate your children, right? And I, I've taken that uh, to heart. I've had, and as we've said, you know, not just spouses, right? You have to ask your children to forgive you. Maybe fathers are more prone to it. That's why he says fathers don't exasperate your children. Maybe because of, it was the cultural thing that, that fathers had more influence. So, and in any case, I've, I've had to ask my children to forgive me plenty of times. And there's a joy that comes to you when having modeled these things, they're doing it on their own. And they come to you on their own for the first time. Um, and they ask you without mom being there to forgive you. And you realize that that you've done what, what is mo- one of the most important things and you've instilled in them, uh, a re- I don't want to call it a technique, a, a wisdom. You've instilled in them a wisdom that will serve them, not just in their own relationships, but uh, in the family, but that, like you mentioned, the extended relationships as well. Yeah, the, the catechism calls the home the first school of Christian life and a school for human enrichment. And so this is this is a place where we can build virtue in our children um, and in ourselves. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa said that we forgive for our own virtue, but also for our neighbor, and this is a direct quote here, to do good toward our neighbor and hinder his evil. So, you know, as we're teaching our children to forgive, as we are practicing and modeling forgiveness, we are demonstrating how to love God, love ourselves, and love our neighbor. And in doing so, 
hopefully building virtue um, that will, will help them their whole lives. So it's, it's also possible. One other thing that was um, that came to my mind as Gregor was talking was that sometimes we can use our, our faith wrongly. And I think mm-hmm. in an immature way, um, sometimes I saw this in, in our children when they, their, their quest for justice kicked in. And <laughs> yes. we can use our faith as a reason not to forgive. You know, they sinned against me and that was wrong. And, you know, they need to be punished. And so there's another teaching that, that can be done there as well with our children about the mercy and grace that God gives us and turning it around again to be that moment of catechesis of, you know, what we're called to judge and what we're not called to judge and how we can be that merciful agent in that moment. Um, so I think it, it might be another practical application of, of forgiveness. So as you say that, Em, I realize that, you know, forgiveness, and I don't know if he said this, forgiveness doesn't mean there aren't any consequences. Mm-hmm. Good, right. We talked about the restoring of the relationship The you know, trust isn't a hundred percent right away. So we have to, if I'm going to give a tip, the tip is, you know, don't let the, the, the modeling and the action of forgiveness presume some kind of turning a blind eye to mm. the consequences of the act. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are natural consequences. Uh, sometimes you have to, as a parent, you have to impose a consequence, right? So, uh, it should be a meaningful thing. Um, another thing that occurred to me was, you know, we talked about reading yourself and being self-aware. Uh, I bring, brought up that verse about fathers not exasperating their children. That may mean understanding where your child is at the moment and realizing you might say something or prompt something uh, or even your coworkers um, or other adults, right? that there are times to say things and push for things and there's and there are times not to so not to uh, provocate something that would lead to you know being sensitive to that not not putting them in a position where where it leads to something detrimental and then you have to ask for forgiveness for that so uh, or they you know they, that puts them in a bad position and then finally don't don't wait so sometimes our forbearance gets us in trouble because we wait and we wait and we wait and then we blow up. Then we can't take it anymore. And if we had just brought it up earlier on when we are of better mind and better temperament, it, things would have gone much, much better. So don't, then that puts you in the, in a bad position. You, you know, you've now become the offender because you've overreacted to something that you could have reacted to much more calmly, simply, and appropriately before then. That is absolutely something I am very guilty of. <laughs> I, I'm I'm famous. You can ask my husband for just, no, it's nothing. Don't, you know, I'm fine. And then later it turns into a big argument and feelings are hurt and it's it's never a good thing. So that's that's very important to work through it in the moment instead of bottling it all up and turning into a bottle rocket. Mm-hmm. That um, makes me think of another tip. Yes. <laughs> Avoid the words never, always, right? So, you know, you, you always do this. You know, you, uh, what, what do we call those words, Al? 
they're just superlatives or they're they're extremes yeah. right so they're yeah, they're, superlatives. they're I thought, hyperbolic I, I thought you meant like in our family i'm like did we call them things? no we didn't call them something no but avoid <laughs> uh, avoid the hyperbole right and if uh if you use the these liturgies i feel when you right you don't have those words in there you know so uh or when you uh use the liturgy of forgiveness you know you're focusing on specific time and uh action and you're not you're not bringing hyperbole into it and that can go for forgiveness for yourself too you know and avoiding those words like, right. I, I always do this yeah why don't i ever get it right yeah. Yeah, so those are also things that can help us in our journey to forgive ourselves as well as others well deacon gary and ellen thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about this this was incredibly enlightening and i really hope that it helps whoever needs to hear it forgive themselves forgive others and really work towards better relationships with the people in their lives it's been a pleasure thank you so much rachel Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.